Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Oh, Trent Condon. Score. This is Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Good morning and welcome in. Miller and Condon on the air with you on a football Friday as we take talk the world of sports. Taking you up until 1 o'clock here this afternoon. Ken Miller will be joining us a little bit later in the program with his Football Friday picks presented by Circa. Ken on the road making his way out for his month-long sojourn out to California, though. He doesn't get a full month vacation. I mean, that's not the way that we do things around here. No, Ken will be uh, back with us, and he will be uh, back on a full-time basis, if you will, uh, coming up next week starting on Thursday. But he'll jump in for the final segment of the show, make his picks uh, here on the airways. Before that, though, we got a whole lot coming your way. We'll kick things off at about 11.20. The voice of the Iowa State Cyclones, John Walters, will stop by in attendance last night. Another blowout victory against Eastern Illinois as they cruise to a win that one, 80-48. We'll talk some hoops. We'll talk some football with John Walters at about 11.20. 11.35, Mike Palm from Circa, the Vice President of Operations, will stop in. A lot of gambling conversation with Mike as we break things down. The Iowa native now out in Las Vegas doing great things and helping us out on what's happening as it pertains to the point spreads and a whole lot more. Come your way at about 11.35. We kick off the 12 o'clock hour, as we do on a football Friday, with Bama Bob. We'll talk a few of the bowl games, not real in-depth outside of a couple of bowl games, but just a whole lot of topics in college football to get into, including what's happening right now with Florida State in the news uh, from this morning as they are looking to leave officially now the ACC. And then we'll wrap things up on the BMW Des Moines guest list with Tom Kakert from HawkeyeReport.com, our weekly conversation with Tom on all things Hawkeyes. But hanging out with me here for the first segment of the program as he's getting ready to do a little bit of work for his afternoon shift. He is Lucas Strain. What's up, Lucas? Hey, Trent. What's going on, buddy? Uh, Not too much. You know, busy night last night. You got the Christmas presents wrapping, getting everything set up. Leaving, going back to my family's place up north here this weekend, and then coming back home on Christmas Eve night. So a lot of T's to cross and I's to dot last night. Had the Iowa State guy game on on the background. Didn't really have to pay much attention to it. It was no. the blowout we anticipated. Well, that's the Iowa State non-conference games. It's what they do. They right. destroy everybody, especially when they're at home. I think they've gone, what, 8-0 against the spread this season at home? They've been killing it, and mm-hmm. that's how they've climbed the ranks in the net rankings. Yeah. I mean, it's not their fault. They're playing who they've been scheduled to play. But and, they're doing the job, and they're just winning. And you can argue that maybe T.J. Osselberger should have beefed up that non-conference schedule a little bit more. But you mentioned the most pertinent part, and that is the NCAA net ratings. And I, I got a kick out of when those first came out. Well, first of all, I was looking to see you know how it would work. Frey McCaffrey, from an Iowa perspective, the way that he scheduled in the past did not work out very well for the RPI. The RPI, when you take on these awful teams, the MEACs, the SWACs programs, just the worst of the worst, the teams ranked in the 300s. In the RPI, that killed you. With the net system, even though they did put the 10-point margin of victory cap on there, they do not cap efficiency. So when you're beating a team by 30, 40, 50 points, obviously your efficiency numbers are going to go through the roof. And since those aren't capped, this is how you kind of game the system. Not just play these bad teams but throttle them. Don't let them hang around and good things happen to you in the net rankings, and we see that with Iowa State. Yeah, it's what they've done all season long. They take the bad teams 
and they pummel them to a pulp. And it's not just Iowa State. You look at the Iowa women's side of things, they're doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. over there. They're playing these weaker teams, like last night was Loyola Chicago. They're a little better of the weaker teams, but they struggled in the first half, but still went on to win pretty easily. So it's happening on both sides of the ball. Really, I think my biggest takeaway was, again, the play of Curtis Jones off the bench last night. A guy that came in as a known shooter, right? A guy that was going to be able to fill it up. He did it at Buffalo. He was a guy that, what he was known as, and he was not shooting it very well. That has changed over the course of the last couple of games. Five and nine last night from three. Six of eight, two games before against Prairie View. You had that kind of weapon. A team that early in the Atzelberger era has really struggled scoring. Now you have a starting lineup you feel pretty good with that they can score and compete, and you know what they're going to be on the defensive end. Now you throw a bench option like Jones that can fill it up. Pavelski's also done the same kind of thing. He helps out, I think, in a myriad of different ways. It's a tight rotation right now. It's just seven, but feels like Otz knows what his team is. Now one more tune-up before we get to conference play. Yeah, he's got that starting lineup, and you said Curtis Jones. He plays starters minutes. Yeah. You know, he's playing 30-plus a game, but really this game just it, this team comes down to Talon Lipsy. It's all about how he plays. If he can shoot it like he has so far this season, I mean, what, he made five threes in one game earlier this week? That was how many he made all season last year. So if he can shoot it and if he's distributing the ball like he has so far and like a point guard should, then the Iowa State team should be able to go a long ways. But it's all, how is this going to turn in Big 12 conference play? It's a behemoth. The Big 12, it's been, for most every year over the past 12 years, it's been the best conference in college basketball. There's a couple of years in there that you can argue, and maybe it was the ACC. the ACC. Yeah, but for the most part, I mean, top to bottom, national championships, Final Four, Sweet 16s, and the depth of the conference, coupled with what you had to do before this year with the double plays. There was no, hey, you know what, we got the easy side of the schedule and we were able to sneak out a 10-8. and eight. That was not the case. It was a double play against everybody. You got to hold it away. I loved it. I absolutely love the way that it was. It's obviously never coming back. We're not going to get back to that. But in the new reality, West Virginia's way down this year. Oklahoma State's down. Central Florida's not ready yet to play in a league like this. But 1 through 11, this league is going to be incredibly deep once again. All of these teams feel like, all 11 of them, that they should be an NCAA tournament team. And you have a bad couple of weeks, or you get an injury at the, at the wrong time, it can derail things really, really quickly, I think, for a lot of these teams in this league because it's just so tough night in and night out. It's very top-heavy for the Big 12. I mean, you look at Oklahoma. They they lost this week to North Carolina, but it's a team that was undefeated going into this going into the game, top 10 ranked. You know, you look on the other side, you have Kansas, Hunter Dickinson, who's going to be, I think he might end up winning the Wooden Award this season. The Big 12 is a team that's going to beat up on each other once conference play starts. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. just going to start beating one another. So you're going to start to see the Big 12 teams fall in the rankings. But they're going to be right there at the end of the season. What yep. have they won? Two out of the last three national championships? Well, and the good news also for this league, the Big Ten is down. Big the, Ten's terrible. The ACC is down. The Big East is beating each other up early in their conferences. They started up this week. and we're getting, Nova. Yeah, Nova gets the upset win. Providence had a nice win earlier this week. Seton Hall. Seton Hall. Uh, so we're seeing them kind of... They're... Look, you got to put 68 in there every year, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that they're not going to lean the mid-major way. That's just a reality. It sucks. It sucks for the NBC. It sucks for other good major mid-major leagues out there. But that's what the NCAA selection committee has shown us now over the last decade is the little guy, you don't get a whole lot of leeway. Especially can, in the NIT now. Yeah, and that, that's another component to it. I mean, how are you going to get to 68? 
I think it's going to be a ton of Big 12, and it's going to be a ton of those teams that are going to be able to find their way in there. If I put the over, I know that you like to dabble like I do a little bit in, in numbers. <laughs> Just a little. If I put the number at 9.5, over under, Big 12 teams over. that make the NCAA tournament. Over. I'm with you. I think it's going to be double digits. I think it won't be 11. I think it will be 10. I think it's 10. Yeah, but I think 10 get there. I'm with you. Over under 5.5, Big 10 teams get into the tournament. <sighs> I still think it goes over. But barely? But barely. But barely. Six. The Big Ten right now. We know Purdue. Yeah, a bunch of teams in that 7 to 11 range. Yes. A lot of those teams that are favored maybe to win a game and then get clubbed in the second round. After Purdue, Illinois, okay. I like the talent. Terrence Shannon's outstanding. He's I think- really good. Danger inside. They got guys. Domas that they got from Southern. I mean, they, they're fine. And I, Underwood's a good coach. Mm-hmm. Okay, I put them second. Wisconsin, I can't figure this team out. They go from looking brutal in the season. They get blown out by Tennessee. Okay, they get blown out by Providence. Then they come back and blow out Virginia, beat SMU. Clobber Marquette, who's looked at for a while as good as anybody in the country, get beat by Arizona. It's just, it's so Jekyll and Hyde. They're still probably going to be there. There's three. After Wisconsin, Illinois, and of course Purdue. Who else are you confident with in this league? Michigan State is probably the first one that comes to mind. And they're seven and five. Come They've on. lost to James Madison, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Arizona, and Duke. But you don't think Izzo's going to turn that squad around? Right. And and that's what you have to put and, in there. It is Izzo. And yes. here's the thing, you know, you know if Michigan State makes the tournament and they win that first game, you know they're going to win in the round of thirty two. That's what, that's they what do. Izzo does. As long as he doesn't get beat in the first round, he's, he's gonna making back. that second weekend. No middle Tennessee getting him in the first round. All right, I'll I will go down that path. Let's put Michigan State in there as the fourth. I would say the fifth is probably Ohio State. I like Coltman a lot. And there has been inconsistency since he's taken over that program more than I anticipated. I lost to Penn State. All right. You don't want to lose that game. Lost to AM early this season. There isn't a ton of depth right now. You know, that UCLA win is not very good. UCLA is not a good team, at least at this point in the season. I guess Ohio State. Who's the sixth then? There's five. You got to get one more to get the over. Idiot. Not Iowa. Not Iowa. I've, no. I've taken them out of my no. 68. I think I think Michigan, the Wolverines you might do? make I I like Michigan. I think they, they didn't have Juwan, they didn't have Howard for right. the first coaching for the first entire part of the season. Is that a bad thing though? I'd rather have Phil Martelli than Juwan Howard. You think so? I think yeah, I would. Uh, I think Martelli is probably the better basketball mind. Yeah. He's probably the better coach, but I th- it's more of like a locker room type of thing. They didn't go to play for Phil Martelli. Yeah. You yeah. have a guy who's threatening to slap the opposing head coach in the face. <laughs> right. You got a guy, you got a coach who's going to go to war for you. Uh-huh. I think the players get a little more hyped up when that's around. Michigan, if they're going to right the ship here, and they got losses. It's going to take a lot. Long Beach State, who's 123 at Ken Palm. Texas Tech, Oregon, both in the 40s, not great. The loss to Indiana, who's numbers-wise, analytically, not great. Even the Florida game, uh, that one earlier this week, the double overtime. And thank goodness for double overtime, as I was laying the three with the Gators. And, and that worked out <laughs> hey, well. I had the over in regulation. I was good on that <laughs> You one. were fine. You were home free. They uh, open up play, though, in Michigan does, in Big Ten play, after their final tune-up uh, coming up next Friday. I hate that. They get Minnesota. Penn State, and that game, that game's somewhere weird. Oh, it's at the Palestra, as uh, Penn State's played a game every year there in Philly. So, Minnesota, Penn State, at Maryland, who's not very good. Home for Ohio State, home for Illinois. They got a path there. That's, yeah. That's how you start, that's how you want to start your conference play. I mean, they get off to a four and one start. 
then we can start having that conversation. All right, I put Michigan in the maybe pile. Indiana played so well for the first, what, 32 minutes against Kansas Mm -hmm. before the wheels fell off last Saturday. I'm just not a big believer in Mike Woodson. I'm not either. I don't believe in Indiana basketball, period, anymore. Yeah. They're not They're not the powerhouse well, that they were. How old are you, Lucas? I am 23. So you don't remember Indiana basketball ever no, being a thing? I don't know any Indiana basketball to be good other than what I've right. read. You, like the Mike Davis era. Nope. Over even, my head. Yeah, even when they made the run to the Final Four, and what was that, his, uh, his uh, f- first season there, that was a long time ago. You weren't even around. Nope. I wasn't paying attention to college basketball. You're in diapers. Yeah. You were in diapers. I started filling out a bracket when I was, what, seven years old? And I was just. Mike Davis is at UAB at that point. Good God. No. I'm getting to be an old man. Oh, uh, no, not there. Not yet. Well, being old means you see a lot of change, and it appears more change is coming in the college landscape with the news today of Florida State as they're looking for their exit. Some of those numbers that were thrown out, if people miss that, they're maybe taking their lunch break right now, out shopping, whatever it is. The numbers are absolutely staggering. They estimated north of $500 million is what it will cost them to leave the ACC if they have to pay all the grant of rights, get all that paid out. What was it, 587? Was that the number? Something like that. 572, according to The Athletic. $572 million to get out of a league that you're going to win. You're going to win more times than not. You're going to have an opportunity, even the years you don't win it at 11-2 and with your national brand, to probably get into the college football playoff. Is that the right move? Ooh, a lot of weirdness coming out of this one. I don't like it because, you know, I, I kind of want some consistency here. Mm-hmm. I want at least a little bit to remain the same from when, you, you know, the, the conferences that you grew up watching. I know the Pac-12 is gone, rest in peace, but I want Florida State to stay. And you, so you think it's a bad business move for them to leave the ACC? It's something that I I brought up a couple of different times. You know, programs that had the right path, had a path. I I look at Oklahoma and Texas. You had a path to be in the playoff every single year. Now, you have to play well, and there's going to be teams trying to beat you, but what's more realistic? Oklahoma goes 9-3, and has the right victories to sneak into a 12-team playoff, or they win the Big 12. It's the latter. Same thing for Texas. Even... I'm not talking well, Texas about Texas never made it though. Right. And I'm not even talking about those teams winning the SEC. I'm just talking about doing enough in the non-conference in the regular season to be a college football playoff team. Like how Penn State or Missouri was yes. this season. Making their way in is a lot more attainable in the Big 12 as opposed to the SEC. I'm with you on that. And I look at it the same way for Florida State. All right, so they've joined the Big 10 or the SEC, whatever it is. The path is such a more difficult path. I understand the money. You're, I was to say, Trent, we got to remember, this isn't about winning. Yeah. This isn't about making the college football playoff. This it's, is about making money. It's about that $30 million-plus threshold that's between them and the guys over in Gainesville, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at Florida's going to be bringing in $70, $75 million a year in TV revenue, and you're stuck at 32 for the next decade-plus. Yeah, that changes the equation. The answer to everything, Lucas, you will learn this, is money. <laughs> it, it, every single <laughs> I think time. I have learned that yes, already. <laughs> that is the answer to everything. Why is this happening? Money. Why are, money? Okay, so if Florida State were to leave the ACC, what school, what conference do you think they go to? Um, the SEC, from what I have heard and uh, read a, a lot of reporting from the Pete Thamels and the Ross Dellingers of the world, Nicole Auerbach at the Athletic, it does seem like the SEC is very tepid on them. But if you're making this move, if you're doing this, don't you have to have a wink and a nod somewhere? 
Yeah. When you talk about the Big Ten, academics are a big part of that, as we've known. But not the only part. Like Nebraska, though they were an AAU member when they joined, they also knew that they were on the way out, that they were being kicked out of the prestigious academic league, the AAU. Florida State is not there, but they are ascending to be an AAU institution. I guess that's the wiggle room that you could look at. But if the Big Ten goes out and gets Florida State, is it, you're not bringing in one, you're bringing in two or four. Because mm-hmm, you got to keep it even. You get to 20 with two, you get to 22 with four, and if you go all in six and get to 24, I mean, that creates a whole different system. And where I've said years ago, we were eventually going to get two power conference structures with the SEC and the Big Ten. You got the ESPN brand over on one side, you got the Fox brand on the other, and that's how this thing ultimately will play out. Florida State and who? North Carolina, huge state, athletic budget, never been great in football. Virginia's talked about because of the academics and obviously the population base that they have there. What about Notre Dame? Notre Dame's Notre not going to be left. They don't want to do it. Because I wonder, say it's just Florida State initially, and we'll figure out the next one. If the Big Ten throws that salvo down into SEC territory, all right, we're invading your territory. Does the SEC come right back to Notre Dame? Do they come back that way? All right, you're coming into our territory. Here we go right back into yours, and we're going to give a sweetheart dinner to Notre Dame. I wouldn't be surprised if they make the offer, but would Notre Dame even accept it? If there's only a few seats left at the table, eventually they're going to have to. You think they're eventually going to join a conference? If it is two major conferences, that is the structure. College football as we know it has peeled off into their own thing. Yeah, you got to have a seat at the table, and that's the only way. There will be no room for independence. Notre Dame, make your choice. Now, are they willing to get into bed with the SEC? (laughs) That's another conversation probably for another day. But this is where we are right now. It can make your head hurt. It can be frustrating. What happens to the Big 12? Do they become the third conference in that power structure? Or are they separate? And do they get left with the ACC leftovers? That is the great unknown. But we are trending a direction that a lot of people believe for a long time we are going. And the Florida State Seminoles are the latest to make another domino fall. And if they do go to the Big Ten, and the Big Ten does get to that 22-24 teams, I'm begging begging for Iowa to get rid of the Nebraska-Wisconsin-Minnesota guaranteed games. Let's play somebody else. Well, unless they go into back to a division format, which could be a reality, and if it's 24... Bring back the Big Ten West. Well, you get six teams in each division, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe, is it something that rotates? Is it something that they had right? It was just the naming of leaders and legends. That was the right way to do it. You structure it in a way where you have equal shares. You have equal billing in each of them. You don't have what it morphed into with the Big Ten East and West, what the Big 12 North and South morphed into. You don't do that geographically. You look at programs, what they are, and what they're going to be going forward. That's how you do divisions, and give yourself the flexibility to shift them, too. And maybe it's just a division for two years, and then it moves and evolves. Do something like that. There's different ways that you can do that, but that's well down the line. I'll uh, I'll make I'll give you something that makes you feel old again. Oh, great. Leaders and legends? Yeah. I was 12. Good God. Last year of its existence. Young man, 12 you gotta, or 13. You got to go get to work. That's Lucas <laughs> Strain hanging out with me here today for the first segment of the show. Always enjoy hanging out with Lucas and talking a little sports. We'll take a quick time out when we come back on the other side. It's time to talk more Cyclones. We touched on the game last night with Iowa State and their win against Eastern Illinois. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Big 12 play and a bowl game with the voice of the Cyclones. He's John Walters, and he joins us as we continue. This is Miller and Condon on 106.3. 
1127 on a Friday. It's Miller and Condon, 106.3 KXNO. Time to talk Cyclones as we're joined right now by the voice of the Iowa State Cyclones. He is John Walters. Appreciate him hopping on with us here on a football Friday. John, season's greetings to you. A couple of days before you get ready to depart for Memphis and the Liberty Bowl. How are things? Things are good. Exciting time of the year with all this going on. A lot of balls in the air, right? A lot of juggling happening. You got basketball, you got football. It's that crossover season that keeps you and Eric oh so busy. Uh, give us a little bit of the the game plan. When you guys depart, make your way down to Memphis and kind of the festivities before we get into the bowl game. Yeah, the team's going down on the 24th, and uh, the second plane, which is what I'm going to be on with my family, is going to go down on the 27th, and um yeah, and then, then on the 28th, we're going to have the pep rally, the Beale Street parade, all the festivities that lead up to it. And 29th, play at 2.30 and come back on the 30th in a basketball game on the 31st. So um, it's just, it's fun. Uh, Memphis is a great town for a bowl game. They really do it upright and, and enjoy having a bowl, you know. And a lot of cities where it's bigger, I think sometimes it kind of gets lost in the mix. But down there, they really love the Liberty Bowl, and so I, I think it's a really great thing, and I think any Iowa State fan that goes down there will have a, a really great time. Drivable, that makes it a little bit easier. I mean, just in general, trying to travel by air in the holiday season is incredibly difficult, and you throw in not knowing what you're going to do and where you're going to be going until December. This one is drivable. You can make it down to Memphis. It's a day's drive, and you can uh, get down there. What have you seen, if anything, as it pertains to ticket sales? I mean, huge crew obviously went down there the first time six years ago. You wouldn't anticipate that kind of level, but what have ticket sales been to this point? Yeah, I think, you know, talking to Jamie Pollard a couple weeks ago about that, he said it was more in the range of what they sold for Orlando for the Cheez-It Bowl, which was good, Mm -hmm. um, but not quite as good as Memphis 2017. Now, there could be a lot of people that are getting their tickets on their own, um, a lot of people have figured out ways to do that, certainly. And then the other thing I never rule out is, as you mentioned, you know, with the December 29th bold date, that's a perfect date on the calendar because you can get through Christmas and the holidays and then just make a last-minute decision because it's drivable. Yeah, we're going to go. So, you know, uh, the stadium was absolutely full last time, and I would say it was 50-50 Iowa State fans and Memphis fans. I don't know if it'll be quite 50-50 this year, but I'll bet it'll be awfully full and you know, it holds 58,000. So, yeah, you could say in the neighborhood of 30,000 Iowa State fans were there last time. And you know, I think it'll be at least 20 this time. But you never know. I, I can't rule out some people getting down there at the last minute. Coming on the heels of a 4-8 season, the tumult of the offseason with the gambling investigation, uh, this team getting to the spot that they did, not just being bowl eligible, was incredible in its own right and coupled with tacking on another win against BYU and K-State at the end of the season to get to this point. It says a ton, and when you look at this roster, the youth of this roster, I'll tell you what, from the outside looking in, John, I did not see this was attainable. And yet another kudo for Matt Campbell and his staff, what he was able to do in these kids to get to a bowl game and a pretty good Big 12 this year. I don't know that I've ever seen Matt enjoy coaching a team more than he's enjoyed coaching this one. And so much of it goes back, Trent, to the summer and all the adversity and, and everything that was going on. And the way these guys just kind of circled the wagons and just didn't worry about it, just kept playing, you know, and didn't didn't sit there feeling sorry for themselves. And you look at, you know, what they've done, that, that you always hope to have a team that gets better every week. And, you know, obviously there's there's bumps in the road. You don't get completely better every single week. But if you watch this team from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, 
you saw a much different football team in late November than you saw in early September. And so, you know, you, you love the improvement that these guys made, and it's not surprising with how young they are, but I think Matt really loved coaching this team. And, you know, there's so much hope for the future because you're going to have almost everybody back next year. And so uh, it really gets you excited about what's going on right now, but also uh, what the future might hold. When you watch the growth of Rocco Beck, a guy that, again, thrust in there back Last spring, after spring practice wrapped up, he didn't think he was going to be the starting quarterback, yet there he was. The growth from that kid that we saw in September to the quarterback that we saw in November, I mean, it is night and day. What you saw from him, and just take us inside a little bit more about Rocco and kind of how he is wired. Well, I think he's a very competitive kid, and and, um, he is... First of all, he throws the ball a lot better than I would have expected. You know, I, I, I didn't know if he'd have... You know, a great arm, but he does. He really he can put a lot of zip on the ball, and as Matt Campbell pointed out, he's very accurate, and that's the most important thing for any quarterback, and that's what Brock Purdy was when he was at Iowa State, was very accurate, and, you know, that really gives you a chance. And so, uh, yeah, Rocco's development over the course of the season has been incredible, and I, I think it's not surprising. You have a new offensive coordinator. You have three new position coaches on that side of the football and you've got a freshman quarterback and freshman tight end and, you know, freshman everywhere, running back everywhere. And so you're going to slow play it a little bit if you're Nate Shieldhouse. You're not going to just put everything on his plate week one. And I think as Rocco proved that he could handle stuff, it was like, okay, we can add this wrinkle. We can add this. We can add that. And as the season went on, Rocco just kept proving that he could handle more and more. So you know, if you watch him play uh, in the bowl game against Memphis, I think if you're just a college football fan and you watch that game, you're thinking to yourself, there's no way this kid's a freshman. And so uh, he, he had a tremendous year. He, he plays way beyond his years and just has a poise and a it factor about him that I really love. And, you know, obviously he's got a very bright future. No doubt about it, and uh, definitely confident about what he is and what he's built himself into. But fun to watch that maturation process. Hey, let's jump over to a little basketball before we let you go, talking with John Walters, the voice of the Iowa State Cyclones. Another non-conference game at home, another easy victory. Iowa State remains at number 5 in the NCAA net rankings. Not just beating these teams, John, but throttling these teams, and that helps out with those efficiency numbers. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, beat, they figured out a way to, to work the system. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, hey, let's face it, um, not everything's going to be based on the net. Obviously, you're, you're going to have to have some marquee. But the opportunity for those marquee wins are going to be endless once you get into Big 12 play. So you're going to have plenty of chances to get those those wins that will impress the committee. But, you know, you've done all the groundwork that you have to do here in the offseason and or in the preseason. And, you know, they are. They're beating these teams that you should beat handily, but it doesn't always work that way. I mean, uh, you know, you think about Eastern Illinois last night, and, you know, that's that one-foot-out-the-door game, as I like to call it, you know, where it's it's the getaway game right before Christmas. It's a dangerous game. I mean, a year ago on that date, they went into Iowa City and won. They almost won at Kansas this year. So it was like, you know, let's take this game seriously. And you know, to Iowa State's credit, they have found a way to – um, even though they're supposed to beat these teams handily, to beat them handily. And uh, as a result, the metrics are really good. This is a much better offensive basketball team than we saw a year ago. Their three-point shooting has really improved. They were 33% last year. They're up around 38% this year. If they shoot the three that well, with the guys they have inside, with Rob Jones getting Hassan Ward back, Trey King, you know, I, I think it's got a chance to be a really balanced team and do a lot of things. And so 
I feel really good about where they're at. Um, but, yeah, we're going to find out a lot once they get into the Big 12. But I really love the way that uh, TJ's approached this and built this roster. And uh, I think it's got a chance to be a really fun season. Ten days away before they get back for their final non-conference game, New Year's Eve against New Hampshire. And then it starts off with a couple of difficult ones. Oklahoma, who just handed their first loss of the season against North Carolina earlier this week on the road in Norman. And then undefeated Houston, who I believe will be undefeated by the time they get to Hilton. And by the time they leave, they won't win there. There's a little prediction for you. <laughs> well, I think they will be number one for sure in the net. I don't yeah. think they'll lose again between now and then. Nope. So I think they'll be number one in the net. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're number one on the AP poll, too, when they come in. And that'll be a wild day in Hilton Coliseum <laughs> for sure. So I think almost every home game in conference is sold out. And Hilton Coliseum is going to have a lot of energy in it, particularly because of what I just mentioned. This team's really fun to watch. Yes. You know, I mean, their, their offense is so so much more fluid and uh, you know, to TJ's credit, his first couple of years is like, hey, we got to find a way to win. And they they uglied it up and, and found a way to win. But this team can play a little bit more of a artistic brand of basketball, and I think fans are really enjoying it so far. John Walters, the voice of the Cyclones. John, always appreciate your time and our conversations. Always a lot of fun. Enjoy the travel. Safe travels down to Memphis, and have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, same to you, Trent. Thanks for having me. John Walters joining us here on Miller and Con. And we continue the conversation with Mike Palm to Vegas next. Talking a little gambling circus survivor down to 10. And a big Brock Purdy prop that has been sold. A 100-to-1 ticket. We'll talk about that with Mike Palm from Circus Sports as we continue. It's Miller and Condon. Owl.com. Trent Condon back with you. Miller and Condon continues 106.3 KXNO, our Friday conversation each and every week here on Miller and Condon. We talk to the Vice President of Operations. He is Mike Palm, Iowa native from Circus Sports, and he joins us here today. Mike, as always, appreciate the time. A busy one. You got bowl games, you got college football, NBA, NHL, and of course, week 16 of the NFL. Thanks for giving us some time back here in your home state. Thank you. Happy holidays to everyone. Bowl games are really a joke, Trent. They've oh. absolutely just they've absolutely, and I, I don't know how we figure it out, but uh, nobody's playing, and it's not the playoff. I mean, it's <laughs> NIL, the transfer portal, and all this. You know, maybe you do it like an in-season tournament where the winner of each bowl game, the players that participate, share two hundred fifty thousand. Maybe it's maybe it's you. Did the bowl games become the first non-conference game of next season? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, but the current state is absolutely pathetic. It is, and we were talking coming in on Monday of this week. I told Ken the game that I watched the most of was Montana North Dakota State. It wasn't any of these bowl games, and it's the same thing on Saturday. I mean, you look at this slate of games: Utah Northwestern there in Vegas. I'm sure you'll have a lot of Utah fans come to town, right? But do you guys anticipate many purple-clad Wildcat fans making their way through Circa? I have to tell you, we put out an offer in Illinois. We'd give them a free room for three nights and tickets to the game, and we didn't get any big biters. Zero. Wow. Holy cow. That's incredible. Well, that says a lot right there. And we're not talking about you know having to go to Detroit like the Gophers do the day after Christmas. We're talking about going to Las Vegas. It's a pretty good deal. We couldn't get many Northwestern fans when you and I were there at Wrigley Field. That's remember? true. I mean, I, I had to make about 20 phone calls to get four people. <laughs> it's wild. Just a, a different kind of fan base. Well, I will assure you, if Iowa makes the Las Vegas Bowl sometime, there will be people that will be jumping on that offer. How about I, that? I, I see they're playing in the Rose Bowl next year. That's that's pretty pretty uh, impressive. I'm, I'm sure a lot of 
Ions will make their way out there for that Big Ten Conference game. Yeah, and uh, well, me and my tailgate group are already making plans, maybe flying into Las Vegas and then finishing the drive, maybe a couple of days yeah. in Vegas. But we'll talk some details. Maybe we've got some ideas floating around yeah. uh, that we could uh, make that possible for a few other Hawkeye fans. Let's get into the slate before a couple of games. I wanted to get your perspective and what you guys are seeing currently at Circa. Circa Survivor. Uh, entries, a few of them locked out. We found out earlier this week there is a local guy that we tried to get on the radio. He's not ready to go public. He said uh, that Derek's been trying to get him to go public. He's not ready for it yet, but we got a local still alive in Circa Survivor. That that made me even more excited to talk about this thing. A chance for a guy with local ties to win that trophy. Yeah, they're down to 10. Um, it's very interesting. One person had the ramp. Um mm-hmm. You know, I can't reveal whether he took them last night or not, but I thought it was the perfect spot because of game theory that you had to take them. Because, look, if everybody has Denver, what if the other nine are on Denver? And mm-hmm. at 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday night, Derek and Jeff Benson announced the other nine are on Denver. You've got 23 hours to try to get together as much money you can and find out where you can get down. But if you could, you know, Denver's about minus 190 uh, in that game. You know, you could... You could, you know, you could bet get four million down on him to pick up two million. Um, I don't know if you can get a hold of that kind of cash, but let's say it was that it was that, or or it was even even it was two fifty, mm-hmm. and then you down three point seven five million to win a million and a half, right? So so if Denver wins, you win a million and a half, and you march on as one of the ten. If they lose, you lose, you know. Let's say you lose three point seven five million. You just won nine point two, so you're still winning five and a half million. And if it put they push, you win, and you don't lose that bet as well. You win the whole nine point two. I mean, it would be a perfect spot. Now, I believe, and one of the the players, uh, L. A. Jones, has said he's taking the Bears. Okay. Um, I believe him. He's tweeted that out, and I believe him because he's been talking about that as part of his strategy. So. Whether he thinks that gives him an advantage to know or whether he's going to juke and, you know, he's still got till tomorrow to put the pick in. Um, so maybe they won't all 10, but certainly I would think at least six or seven would be on Denver on Christmas Eve night. So we know when we get to Christmas Day, that is a standalone week as it's a 20-week contest. Raiders at Chiefs, Giants at Eagles, Ravens at Niners. Of that group, and I asked this question to Ken earlier this week, let's say you've used the Niners, the Eagles, the Chiefs, You've used all those teams, even the Ravens. If you had to choose between either having to go with the Raiders or the Giants, those are your only two teams left, who would you pick in that scenario? And does anybody have that scenario, do you know? Um, I'm not sure. So nine, no, nobody's out. Nine, nine of the ten have the Eagles, two have the Chiefs, one person has both. Okay. So he has the ability maybe to use the Chiefs on Christmas and then the Eagles somewhere else. Because mm-hmm. uh, the Eagles schedule down the stretch looks very easy even though they've lost, what, three in a row. Um, that, that's a tough choice because traditionally the Raiders have played the Chiefs close, mm-hmm. but the best game they've played in the last two months was here in Allegiant when after the first quarter they really steamrolled the Raiders for the last three quarters. So that's a tough choice. I, I'd probably take the Raiders, um, but I don't think anybody's going to be in that spot. That's good. Good for them, certainly, to not have to worry about that and play that spot. Uh, the other game on Christmas Day, it'll be the night game. Baltimore-San Francisco, potential Super Bowl preview in that matchup there. 
Are you seeing a ton of action on San Francisco? I see you guys are now up to five and a half uh, San Francisco favor in the game. Is it 49er money or has this been two-way? It's a little bit. We have very, it's a small decision, less than 30000 right now, mm-hmm. uh, that we would need the Ravens. Things will change, obviously, before Christmas night. I think this game offers an interesting betting perspective. If you like the Ravens on the money line, then why wouldn't you just bet Lamar to win the MVP? Absolutely. You're getting a better price. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you saw the prop swap and, and, and the <laughs> story where we, they sold the, the Purdy ticket. I think that's a sharp move, actually, because he would, you know, the value of, of the ticket hinges on that game. Now, Purdy has a big game. They went comfortably, and McCaffrey doesn't do a lot, right? Purdy's probably gets over. But if Purdy struggles a bit, Lamar has a huge game. It, McCaffrey could show out here, too. Uh, and, and he runs for 180 and has another 70, and they win a close game. But I, I think it's sort of down to, to, to Purdy and, and, and Lamar Jackson. So I think this game, not only a Super Bowl preview, possibly – um, but also determine the MVP. It's a great point, and uh, yes, it's something that we like to talk about a lot is not just looking at things. You know, the other one is is some correlated parlays. If you're looking at some of those division numbers that are out there, does it make more sense to take Buffalo if you like them to come back and, and win the East? You know, whatever division it is, those correlated parlays as opposed to just putting it down in the futures market, a lot of times that makes a whole lot of sense. And just one of those theories that we like to throw out there and help the listeners with because sometimes you're leaving money on the table by going with those markets. Well, I think in general in the sports betting space, we don't talk enough about betting. We talk about handicapping. Yeah. But we don't talk about maximizing your profit through betting methods. Exactly right. It's, sure. Go go ahead, Mike. No, no, that's all I want to say. And, and, and it's more about about what's the best angle to put your money down, and that gives you the most coverage and gets you the most the most return. Betting is an art in itself. Handicapping is separate. Trying to determine who's going to win a game. How you bet it is just as important. Well, Mike, I know you're busy. You got to run, getting ready to hop on the air. Wonderful as always, Christmas message for you on Visa, and always love to hear it every single year. Merry Christmas to you and all your family and everybody, and of course your people back home here in Iowa as well. We all say Merry Christmas to you, Mike. Merry Christmas to you and your wife and the kids and the Ted Miller and his his family and all the listeners. Thank you very much. Mike Palm, Vice President of Operations at Circus Sports, as he's with us each and every Friday, for the most part, throughout the course of the year. Great conversations, great message, and I really like that. We we do do that, don't we? We talk a lot about handicapping, yeah, maybe not doing it right, and it's something that is important. You know, if you're new to the betting world and you're not exactly sure what I was saying there, what a correlated parlay. Mention Buffalo. Well, for Buffalo to come back, or to, let's take the Vikings for example. The Vikings to come back and win the division. Let's localize it as much as possible here. The Vikings have two games remaining with Detroit, and. They also have the game in the middle. So they have to win out. The Lions have to lose out. Well, the Lions have to play against the Cowboys, right? In between. So let's say you are a $100 player. You're putting $100 down. Instead of going to the futures market and putting $100 on the Vikings to come back and win this division, instead, you bet the Vikings money line this week. You bet the Vikings money line. Take that $100 money line. Take the $100 plus your profit, money line the following week, and the third week coupled with Detroit and Dallas. You do that, it's four games, it's going to turn into more money 
than just betting in the futures market and what their division odds. I'm going to see here if uh, division odds are up at Circa. They are currently up right now. This is what you can get. Of the Lions right now, the no is plus 14.75 for them to come back. The Vikings, when we looked earlier this week, were about 20 to 1. So that's what you're talking about here. Uh, finally, didn't have time as Mike had to run. We mentioned that Prop Swap. So Prop Swap is a website, a app, where you got a betting ticket. And instead of cashing out, right, I think you're on an app. A lot of times you'll find that cash out option. You have a future. And it's certainly worth more right now than it was when you initially made the wager. Or the other way, it's worth less and you just want to cash out and at least get a little bit back to do it. What prop swap is, is you put your ticket up there. For this person, they had Brock Purdy at 100-1 to to win the MVP. 101, great odds, right? He bet $2,000 on it. And he will have a return of $200,000. So he put it up there, hoping to get half of that money, 100000 And not having to worry about getting to the end of the season. Look, an injury could happen at any time. Get out, right? And guarantee yourself a pretty major profit of $98,000 on your $2,000 ticket. So he does that. But what's different, as opposed to the sports book that you're using that gives that cash-out option... With prop swap, is you got bidders, you got multiple people, and you have people that are looking at that, and maybe they look at the implied odds and they say, absolutely, this is a good price. Right now, Brock Purdy is minus money, and I have to put down a hundred thousand dollars to win two hundred thousand dollars, and basically over three weeks, that's a pretty good loan. If you believe it's a sure thing, that's what you do. But bidding wars can start to happen. More and more people get involved. That means you're getting more money when you put your prop up there. It's a really cool idea. I have not done it. I've not jumped into that yet. Something maybe I'm going to have to uh, take a peek at, at the very least and see maybe. Now, me betting $10, $20 on, on games and futures, a little bit different than 2000 Probably not going to be the same kind of return on some of these smaller tickets that I certainly have compared to the other ones. But a fun idea, and we've seen more and more of this going on as people looking to sell those tickets and make themselves a little bit of money. One hour in the books. we got one more to go here on Miller and Condon. Time to talk college football. Not many bowl games that myself and Bama Bob are going to get into, but we have a wide range of topics to talk about. There's just so much going on. There is obviously the Florida State situation. These bowl games in general. I've talked about some of my ideas to maybe improve bowl season. It's going to get even worse next season with the 12-team playoff where right now the four-team playoff is all that matters. The good news is we'll have eight extra games to talk about as opposed to a four-team structure with a 12-team structure that will matter. But the bowls are going to dissipate even more. There's still excitement for some of the other bowl games out there. That will get less and less. How do we fix it? We'll talk about that with our friend Bama Bob to kick off the second hour. And then Tom Caker from HawkeyeReport.com will stop in. Plenty with Tom in the world of the Hawkeyes. Of course, recruiting day earlier this week does a ton of that over at On3 Media. We'll get some of his favorite prospects for the class of 2024. Iowa Hoops, one more tune-up for them next week before Big Ten play begins. And another easy win for the Iowa women last night as they pull away in the second half against Loyola. Hour number two, coming your way next. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO.